Good afternoon, Purple family. Welcome to another episode of Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. I am your host, Ronica Crutchfield. Before I get into uh, this evening's episode, or rather this afternoon's episode, because it's uh, almost four o'clock in the afternoon where I am. So wherever you are in the world, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good night. Um, I want to just take time out to thank everyone who has taken time out of their day to listen to my podcast. That means more to me than what you will ever know. I particularly want to shout out everyone that has joined the Facebook page, all 141 of you as of right now. So thank you so much. Continue to share the page and share our discussions. And don't be afraid to bring up things on the page. Um, I like talking. And as you can see, I talk back. You know, I always respond to almost all the posts on there. So uh, don't be afraid to post anything. Okay. As long as it is Prince related, you can post it. Also, I want to give a special shout out to Mark Anthony. Uh, he is a Prince actor and musician. Uh, I don't, I guess I could use the word impersonator. Um, and, uh, he's based in the UK and he was kind enough to share my podcast on uh, Facebook and he has a, a YouTube channel as well. It's called Mark Anthony S. Prince. So please go and subscribe. All the Purple family that hear this, please go, please go subscribe to his channel on YouTube. Uh, he has played Prince in some Reels documentaries. Um, the Last 24 Hours of Prince and The Autopsy. Uh, he played Prince in those two episodes of those documentaries. Very, very well acted. And he really does look like Prince as well. Um, he has uh, Prince's demeanor down very well. Uh, so I would love to, you know, see him once he comes to the United States. So Mark, if you're listening to this, uh, please, uh, let me know when you come close to the South, I stay in Arkansas. So if you happen to be coming to Memphis or Texas, please let me know. Okay. So let's get started. So to start off, we're going to pick up kind of where I left off at the last episode. I mentioned that Prince and his band, the rebels, uh, did a brief tour for the Prince album. And uh, they started doing that in like late 1979. The album Prince came out in October and they started the tour in November and December, but they had to end up cutting it off actually because Prince got sick uh, for a couple of weeks and he lost his voice. He got laryngitis. And I think that he also had a pneumonia or something like that. So he was sick. So they kind of had to cut the tour short. Uh, and then of course he went on to, um, American bandstand in January of 1980. And then in February of 1980, all the way up until April, Prince was the opening act for Rick James for his fired it up tour. So I wanted to briefly talk about that tour. I posted some videos about the tour from a YouTube series called tales from the tour bus, uh, that Mike judge did back in 2017. Uh, Mike Judge is the creator of uh, Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. It was very funny. And he did a, a three-part uh, episode on Rick, James, and Prince. And so I did post that to the uh, Facebook page. So please check those out. Uh, uh, Rick James also had an autobiography called Glow. I didn't read all of it. I just kind of focused on the chapters where he talked about Prince. But I do plan on going and reading the whole book because... <laughs> We all know Rick James was a fool. You know, if y'all remember the, the Dave Chappelle show and that that's probably his most famous episode is the ones where, you know, he 
uh, was talking about Charlie Murphy and well, Charlie Murphy was talking about his experiences with Rick James and, you know, Dave Chappelle, I'm Rick James, bitch, you know, and of course they did an episode, uh, with Prince as well about, um, Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy losing in a basketball game to Prince. So that whole, like Dave Chappelle, like he's a genius to me. I love his comedy. And, um, he, he was also a very, uh, big fan of Prince as well. So, uh, but let me not get off track. So let's get on talking about uh, the autobiography Glow. Um, in the autobiography, uh, Rick James said that he first took notice of Prince after hearing the song, I Want to Be Your Lover. He said he really liked the song. He said, when the song came out, I loved it. And he was like, why not help a young brother with such obvious talent? So Rick automatically recognized Prince's talent. And that's telling, given the fact that they would kind of pretty much fall out later on. But he respected, very much respected Prince's talent. So he also thought that Prince, his look was similar enough to his and his band that he would be a good opening act. But also Rick knew that Prince would also attract a white audience. And see, they also talked about that in the Tales from the Tour Bus. Because while Rick was this kind of funk R&B man, you know, and his audience was mostly black, uh, but Prince was attracting white people because he was doing rock and roll, funk, and punk. You know, he was kind of like that. They called it new wave, I believe, in the early 1980s. That was kind of the buzzword that they used to de- try to describe like this fusion of punk and rock and roll. They called it new wave. So Prince was on that. And so Rick, just like Prince, wanted to, uh, they both wanted to racially cross over into the mainstream. And so uh, Rick really thought that Prince could be someone that could help him do that. However, <laughs> there was a lot of tension between Rick James and Prince and their respective bands. So Rick James would claim that Prince stole his moves, which he probably did. Uh, Prince was, he said that Prince was emulating my mic moves like a motherfucker. He was calling out my funk chants and even flashing my funk sign. I know imitation is a serious form of flattery, but because my act followed his, it looked like Rick James was copying Prince rather than vice versa. So what happened is they both had a tendency to watch each other's performances. And so my guess is that Prince was really paying attention to Rick's moves and thought, well, hey, I could put my, you know, my own spin on that. And I think that's what he did. So I don't think that Prince was just outright trying to just take, you know, Rick's moves like that. I think he was just trying to maybe put his own spin on it. But, uh, but according to Rick, that's not what it was. He said that Prince was just outright stealing from him and he just didn't like that. Um, now Rick, was he right to be pissed about that? Yes, he was. But like I said, he really couldn't do a whole lot about it though. I mean, he tried complaining to Prince's management team about it, but that didn't go anywhere. So he started to really grow a resentment of Prince. And, but when he would reflect back on their relationship, when he was in jail in the nineties, uh, he was uh, talking to his cellmate, this guy named uh, Brother Guru. And he said, I resented him, talking about Prince. I admit it, but I only resented him because I know he was stealing. But when he, you know, but so he didn't, he didn't see at the time, you know, well, he did see, I think, yeah, you could say he did see at the time, you know, how talented Prince was, but he was so focused on Prince. Oh, he's stealing my shit. He's still in my moves, you know, like he wasn't, he couldn't see beyond that, you know, but, but then, you know, after he, so he has this whole conversation with his cellmate, this guy named brother guru and brother guru basically tells him, look, 
Rick, you was just jealous of Prince. But you have to admit that the cat is very talented. So he says, you know what? You know, you're right. He said, no matter what I may have felt about Prince in the early days, he turned out some of the funkiest shit on record. So after having this, you know, conversation with his cellmate, he was like, you know what? You're right. Prince was talented. And I guess I just couldn't get past the fact that I felt like he was copying me. So, you know, he admitted that he was jealous. He was jealous because Prince and his band were kind of upstaging Rick and his band, the uh, Stone City Band. In a lot of the cities, Prince and his band were killing it. Now, this is according to Des Dickerson. Now, if y'all saw the animated uh, uh, Tales of the Tour Bus, the guy, what is his name, Levi? Like, he was like, oh, they forgot who they forgot who the fuck the opening act was when we got out there, da-da-da. And maybe that was the case in some of the cities that Rick was, you know, more well-known, especially like Buffalo, which was Rick's hometown. Now, I can see them, you know, maybe not liking Prince as much there because, you know, that's their hometown boy. But I don't know. Des Dickerson in his book made it seem like a lot of nights the rebels would just tire out the crowd so much that a lot of people would actually leave before Rick could even get on stage. So I don't know which, I mean, I guess you could just pick and, you know, decide which story you believe, Levi's or, or, or Des Dickerson's. But we also know that Rick was a bit of a druggie. So he would often get high before going on stage. So by the time he made it to the stage, he was drunk high off weed, cocaine. So, you know, his performances were not up to par. And this did not happen all the time, but it did happen. So Prince was like this young, like I said, upstart. He was hungry, really outperforming the veteran Rick. And that really bothered him. He would tell his bandmates, like, this little motherfucker out here got me working too hard, you know, because (laughs) Rick was not really able to keep up with Prince like that. So by the time the tour ended, they were not on the best of terms. One story in the book, uh, Rick claims that during his birthday party, Rick's birthday party, that Prince attended, Rick said he grabs a bottle of cognac, pulls Prince's head back, and pours it down Prince's throat. And he said he did that because, for one, you know, Prince um, crashed his party. And for another, it's because he knew that Prince and his band were anti-drug. So that was probably, that was probably the main reason why the two bands did not get along. They really didn't hang out. And according to Des Dickerson, it wasn't that they hated each other or anything like that. It was just, they were just so different. So at some point, uh, they all decided to have like a come to Jesus meeting. And in this meeting, it was decided that the two bands would just agree to stay out of each other's way. And also at the same meeting, uh, according to Rick, he confronted Prince about, you know, he just said, look, you still in my shit. And Prince was like, uh, those aren't your moves to begin with. You got that from Jackie Wilson and James Brown. And so Rick was like, okay, okay. He was like, okay, nigga. Okay, touche. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I still have some particular moves that are unique to me. I'm going to need you to not do those. And so Prince was like, okay, I, you know, I'll, I'll lay off that. But according to Rick, he never did. So, so by the end of the tour, you know, once again, Rick was all about payback. So he steals Prince's synthesizers and used them on his 1981 album, Street Songs. So that classic Rick James uh, album that has Fire and Desire on it and um, some other songs. I can't, but I know Fire and Desire for sure is on there with uh, Tina Marie. So those synthesizers that you hear on that album are Prince's. <laughs> and then he returned, but he did return them. 
he returned the synthesizers with a thank you note. So, you know, that you would think that would be the end of it. You know, after the tour ended, he stole the synthesizers and then, you know, brung them, you know, or sent them back. Oh, but no, that was not the end. Because in January of 1983 at the American Music Awards, Rick James decided to choose violence because his mother got snubbed by Prince for an autograph. So um, Prince's mother was a Prince fan and she wanted to get an autograph and Prince just kind of walked off, you know. So this pissed James off. He was like, uh, you just gonna disrespect my mama like that? So Rick said he literally chased after Prince who he called the little turd. And Prince's manager got involved and Prince apologized for disrespecting Rick's mom. Uh, cause he, I mean, he didn't know, he didn't know that that was Rick's mom. So I don't know if he, uh, gave Rick's mom an autograph or not. Cause Rick didn't say, but uh, Rick said though, he wanted to kick Prince's scrawny ass because, you know, cause he was just, you know, he wanted to just, just hurt him. So he was kind of, he was kind of mad that he apologized because he's like, I just wanted to beat his ass so bad. <laughs> so it also didn't help matters also. Now the year before that, in 1982 at the same American Music Awards. Uh, so supposedly this is uh, the American Music Awards where Prince and Vanity met. But allegedly, and I say allegedly because um, Vanity, does, the, Vanity doesn't really talk about this in her book and neither does Rick James. So I don't know exactly what Vanity and Rick James relationship was. But I do know that uh, Vanity said that she did meet Prince at the American Music Awards in 1982. So I don't know, like I said, what capacity she had with Rick. But if they were dating, this would be the end of that because she ended up, you know, dating Prince. And so to quote a James, uh, I almost said James Brown, y'all. To quote a Rick James song that was (laughs) cold-blooded. So if, if that actually happened. Uh, so, but I do know, like I said, that, uh, Vanity and, uh, Prince did meet at the 1982 American Music Awards. And so if that was his date and he, that, that may have been why he omitted it because he was just that pissed off about it. (laughs) But, uh, so going back to the incident with Rick's mom, like I said, it was just a misunderstanding and Prince probably, you know, didn't know she was, you know, thought she was just some random fan and Prince, you know, he didn't give out autographs like that. So unless he was like at a meet and greet or something like that. So, um, like I said, I don't know if he got, if he gave her the autograph or not, I would assume Prince probably did give her the autograph, you know, after that whole big mix up, I don't see him not doing that, but you know, Prince was never, he was never the autograph, you know, type. Uh, so, but to get back to it, um, so the love was definitely lost between Rick and Prince. And then, you know, Prince, after he meets Vanity, of course, which her, of course, her name is Denise Matthews. It wasn't Vanity then, uh, but he starts dating her and he forms a girl group, Vanity Six. Now, this was something that Rick had wanted to do, and he said in the book that he happened to mention that he wanted to, you know, form a girl group to Prince's manager. And next thing you he knows, here comes Vanity Six. <laughs> so uh, Rick was a little pissed off about that as. And that's also mentioned in the Tales of the Tour bus. Uh, but he did create his own girl group as well called the Mary Jane Girls. And to Rick's credit, I think they sang a lot better than Vanity Six. And they had some really good hits like My House and All Night Long. Great songs. 
Uh, Vanity Six's biggest hit was Nasty Girl, which it was just okay to me. I, I like the beat more than I, I like Vanity's vocals. <laughs> but I'll talk more about that on episode seven. Uh, I'm going to talk about Vanity Six and the time. Uh, so let's move on to discussing Dirty Mind. So as usual, let me give you the statistics on the album. Dirty Mind was released on October 8th, 1980. Prince will begin recording the songs as soon as the Rick James tour ended. So uh, the, the uh, Rick James tour ended in April. So he started in uh, May and June and it was done by June of 1980. He recorded it at Hollywood Sound Recorders in L.A., the engineer of Dirty Mind is listed as Jamie Starr. Now, Jamie Starr is another one of these characters that uh, Prince created, kind of like Camille and uh, Spooky Electric and Tor Tor and who else? But I think Jamie Starr is probably the first one. He's like this old man version of Prince. And he's been on some really, he also did some funky stuff like uh, Corrine Bacon Skin. If y'all heard that song, that's Jamie Starr. He also did uh, Chocolate which is kind of like an unreleased uh, uh, song that I've heard him on, Jamie Starr. Also, he did uh, Cold Cocaine, no, Cold Coffee and Cocaine. Uh, so if you heard songs like that, that's Jamie Starr with him and it's, uh, 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 you know, that little, <laughs> uh, that's Jamie Starr. So he tried to deny that he was Jamie Starr for a long time, but we all knew that it was Prince. But more about Jamie Starr on episode seven. Uh, so... Many of you already know, you know, who Jamie Starr is and all that. So, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about him later. Uh, the album produced three singles. Uptown, which came out before the album. Uptown. Okay, and then Dirty Mind and Do It All Night. And those last two were released only in the UK as singles. So, the album peaked at number 45 on the LP and tapes chart, as the pop chart was called back then. And then number seven on the soul charts. So, but it, so it did way better than, uh, uh, the Prince album. Uh, and it, it got up to 500 copies sold on June 20th, 1984. So just a few days before Purple Rain, the album came out. So Dirty Mind got more sales off of the momentum of Purple Rain because Purple Purple Rain was of course the height of Prince's career in the eighties. And so, people started to become interested in his music before Purple Rain. So Dirty Mind was one of those albums that people started to come back and listen to. Okay, so moving on. So initially, I thought I would go track by track to give my opinion. But since I really want to focus on Prince's mindset at this time, and in particular, his views on sex and sexuality, instead, I'm going to highlight two tracks of interest. I will discuss all the other tracks as well, but... There are two tracks I really want to focus on because I believe that they are representative of Prince's mindset at the time. Those two tracks are Head and Sister. So let's start off by looking at the lyrics. So when you look at the lyrics of Head, you know, it says, I remember when I met you, baby, you were on your way to be wed. You were such a sexy thing. I love the way you walk, the things you said. I'm not going to try to do that crazy falsetto. I can't do it. (laughs) Um... I was so nonchalant. I didn't want you to be misled, but I got to have you, baby. I got to have you in my bed. And you said, but I'm just a virgin and I'm on my way to be wed. But you're such a hunk. So full of spunk. I'll give you head. I'm like, oh, okay, Prince. Okay. And then the the chorus is till you're burning up head till you get enough head. 
till your love is red head. You know, and so Prince was saying in an interview that he did with Musician Magazine in September of 1983, uh, the, the uh, article was called uh, Prince Strange Tales from Andre's Basement and Other Fantasies, Fantasies Come True. Prince explains that the story of Head can be seen as satire, so it wasn't, of course, a real story. Uh, but he kind of contradicts himself because uh, he was like, well, no one was laughing when I when I was saying it in my head. Uh, I don't know. If people get enjoyment out of it and laugh, that's fine. All the stuff on the record is true experiences and that have occurred around me or to me and the way I feel about things. So he didn't think it was a funny track, you know, but uh, he said, I wasn't laughing when I did it. So I don't suppose it was intended in that way. But he could understand why people would think it was funny. So basically saying he 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 didn't mean it to be seen as funny or satirical. But if people got a laugh from it, that's fine. But these experiences are based on some level of truth. So to me, that's telling me because I, I, I do believe that I do not believe. <laughs> Let me say that. I do not believe that he let, a, you know, a virgin on her wedding day give him head. No, <laughs> but I do think that the virgin may be representative of something that may have occurred either to Prince himself or maybe someone like he said, like someone around him. You will see what I mean by the time we get discussing the song Sister because I feel that those two songs may be connected, you know, in some way. They both talk about oral sex. They talk about a virgin having a sexual awakening, a sexual experience that changes them. So when asked in this interview about why he decided to call the album Dirty Mind, this is what Prince said. He said, well, that was kind of a put on. I wanted to put it out there that way in time to show people that's that's not what sex was about. You can say a bad word over and over again, and sooner or later, it won't be bad anymore if everyone starts doing it. So Prince's Dirty Mind was really to show people how sex wasn't supposed to be. And I really found that quote to be interesting because it's during this time that he was, of course, performing in the black bikini briefs, the leg warmers, the boots, the trench coat. So he has this overtly sexual visual image in both how he looks and his lyrical content. But he contradicts all that by saying, this is not representative of what sex, this is, this is representative of what sex is not. So we all know that Prince was very aware of marketing. And so we can kind of see that this is possibly a marketing ploy by Prince. And this is backed up by Des Dickerson in his book. Uh, He said, he stated that Prince told the rebels that he wanted each of them to have their own persona and that his persona was going to be one of pure sex, that he was going to embody sex at its basic carnal form. So keep that in mind, okay, as we go on and talk about the song Sister. Okay, so let's go look at the lyrics. Uh, Okay, so it starts off, I was only 16, but I guess that's no excuse. My sister was 32, lovely and loose. She don't wear no underwear. She says it only gets in her hair. And it's got a funny way of stopping the juice. My sister never made love to anyone else but me. She's the reason for my uh, sexuality. She showed me where it's supposed to go. A blow job doesn't mean blow. Incest is everything it's supposed to be. And then the chorus, oh sister, don't put me on the street again. Oh sister, I just want to be your friend. And then the second verse, um, well, I guess no, the third verse. I was only 16 and only half a man. My sister didn't give a goddamn. She only wanted to turn me out. 
She took a whip to me until I shout, oh motherfucker, she's just a motherfucker, can't you understand? And then, oh sister, don't put me on the street again. Oh sister, I just want to be your friend. I know what you want me to do. Put me on the street and make me blue. Oh sister, oh sister, oh. (sighs) Okay. So... Prince says in the same uh, the same article interview for Musician Magazine that Sister is serious. Now he says this before he talks about you know head possibly you know not possibly but head being satirical, and then he said he goes on to say Sister is serious, and that's the reason why I stopped doing interviews because I started and stopped abruptly because of that. People were not taking me seriously. And I was being misunderstood. Everything I said, they didn't believe anyway. They didn't believe my name. They didn't believe anything. So you can see that or just get the feeling that Chris is frustrated. Frustrated with how the public has perceived him. Later on in this same interview, like I said, this interview was really telling. It had a lot of good information in it. It's probably one of the most descriptive and revealing interviews that Prince would ever give before Purple Rain. And really before, really not just before Purple Rain, but period. Because he didn't give many interviews at this time. So this interview was very telling of Prince's mindset during this time. Even though this interview was in 1983 and Dirty Mind came out three years earlier, you can still kind of see that by his answers to some of these questions, that his mindset hasn't really changed much in those three years. So getting back to Sister. So my opinion of this song might be as controversial as the song itself. So I believe that there is a strong possibility that either the story is true or Prince was looking to push the boundaries of shocking lyrical content to its breaking point. Incest has always been a taboo topic, not really talked about much in songs or anywhere else unless a case somewhere pops up and usually it's, it's only discovered because like a female victim gets pregnant. But in Prince's case, he's talking about himself and his older sister having a forbidden, unlawful sexual relationship. And this spawns Prince's sexuality and his this new sexual awareness. So Prince blames his hypersexuality on his sister. Now, if what he says in the song is true as he claims in this interview, because he said, sister is real, then his sister is guilty of sexually molesting her younger brother. And this song was a way for him to deal with the trauma of what happened to him. The reason why I lean more to this conclusion as opposed to this being a marketing ploy for shock value by Prince was because the lyrics to me sound too personal. Let's look back. He says in the second verse, I was only 16 and only half a man. My sister didn't give a goddamn. Like when you hear that, and then he even changes the music up, you know, uh, when he says, God damn, boom, you know, like the guitar, you know, he changes up the chords on the guitar a little bit. And so it just sounds like something that a victim of sexual abuse would say. And I really can't picture Prince saying something like that, something of such a serious nature in a song for shock value. I just can't. I just can't see him taking something like that. Knowing that other people, you know, have, you know, have suffered from that, have gone through that, knowing that, you know, those very people could be listening to that, that he would just try to use that as a marketing ploy. Now, like I said, I could be wrong, but to be honest and to be honest, I kind of hope I am because 
if Prince was in fact sexually abused by his older sister, that that is indeed very sad because he never got justice for that. And I do have an idea of the sister that Prince was referring to, but because I don't want to accuse anyone of a crime that they may have not committed, I won't say which sister I think it was, but at the end of the day, only she and Prince know what really happened. So we just have to leave it at that. So, so going back to the 1983 musician interview, like I said, this interview was so, so revealing. He was asked about why Dirty Mind was such a departure from his first two albums. And he said that Dirty Mind started off as demo tapes. They were just like songs I wanted to hear. So I took them to my manager and he said, this is the best stuff I've heard in a long time. This should be your album. And he said, the drag is, I just don't want to, I just don't know how I could make another album like that. I usually change directions with each record, which is a problem in some respects, but rewarding and fulfilling for me. I have mixed emotions. So he had tended to go into a new route anyway with Dirty Mind, but he didn't really, you know, think that these were just songs that, like he said, that he just thought that he would want to hear. But when the manager heard him, he was like, oh, you know, you should make these your album. So for Prince, Dirty Mind, I think was a very, very personal album. So earlier in the interview, he said that his first album for you was more contrived and his second album, Prince, was done for Warner Brothers to make hit records. So Dirty Mind, like I said, uh, was in Prince's mind, his real first album when he was really doing the type of music he wanted to do for himself as an artist. So briefly, looking back at the other tracks, um, let's look at, okay, so Uptown, Dirty Mind, Do It All Night and Party Up. Now to me, uh, the last one, of course, was the uh, the deal between Morris Day and Prince. And that's how Party Up ended on this album. And we'll talk about that in episode seven. But I already mentioned the fact that um, Morris Day pretty much wrote that song. Well, he did the music to the song. And I think Prince maybe changed up the lyrics on it a little bit. Because uh, Morris claimed that Prince kind of didn't, that Prince's version isn't as funky as his version. Uh, but anyway, so those four tracks uh, are kind of up-tempo, funky, punk tracks to me. Uh, while Got a Broken Heart Again is really the only kind of slow song on the record. and it, But it also falls in the same vein with the other song about love, When You Were Mine. They sound like they, they could easily be like B-sides of one another. So they sound really similar to each other. Uh, my favorite song on the album is probably between... Dirty Mind and When You Were Mine. Uh, I, I like When You Were Mine. I also like Cindy Lauper's version of When You Were Mine as well. Um, but Dirty Mind, I, I, and I put the video of Dirty Mind and Uptown on the Facebook page. And those are some of my favorite videos to go back and look into. So, like I said, Dirty Mind in many ways was a very personal album for Prince. And I think probably one of his, uh, I dare say it was probably his most most personal album uh, of the earlier time period for Prince. Overall, though, I, I really, really like the album because it did represent a significant shift in Prince's mindset, especially when it came to sex and sexuality. So at the conclusion of this interview, he was asked, was there anything else he wanted mentioned? And Prince said, I don't want people to get the impression that sex is all I write about because it's not. And the reason it is so abundant in my writing is mainly because of my age and the things that are around me. Until you go to college or get a nine to five job, then there is going to be a bunch of free time around you. And I think for Prince, 
those ways were music and probably sex. (laughs) So in conclusion, Prince's dirty mind was personal and dealt with real situations and issues that happened to him or those around him. His views on sex and sexuality became more to the forefront with this album in both shocking and yet remarkable ways. Just as now, it was also true then that sex sells. So Prince was well aware of that and he used his image of pure sex to take his career in a new sexual lyric, lyrical content that would become and remain a staple of his career. His name was Prince. Mr. Nelson, if you're nasty. <laughs> so that concludes uh, this afternoon's episode. Join me next week for episode seven in which I'll be talking about Prince's fourth studio album, Controversy and his protégés group, protégé, <laughs> protégé group, groups the time and vanity six until then peace and be wild and may you live to see the dawn bye